2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is God's word. Thanks. Good morning again, everybody. This is uh, our fourth of a little series of five our second time face-to-face, and it's a great joy to be with you. I do look forward to the time where we can sing. I'm missing the singing, but it'll come, God willing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word which you have given to us, and we thank you for the times where there has been a word in season to our mind and our heart. We pray that the word that we spend these few minutes on this morning would penetrate mind and heart and bring up fruit to your praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you have lost um, anybody recently, but um, four acquaintances, four people that I have known a little have passed away in the last three weeks, virtually a week at a time. And um, just yesterday, the great uh, Jim Packer passed away, who uh, we had the pleasure of meeting a few times. Now, two of the funerals of the four are overseas, so we won't get to them. Two of the funerals have been held in this city. And uh, at one of the funerals, which I attended, the friends tragically, I thought, had only trivial things to say about the person who had died. They talked about his cars, they talked about his holidays, they talked about the television shows that he liked. It was, I thought, a tragic summary of a person's life. And at another funeral, uh, for one of the other four, the priest who gave the message had no real gospel for the crowd. It was a confusing, mystical collection of thoughts. 
And uh, I was standing outside. I was not in the actual building, but it was uh, broadcast out. And I can assure you that people were, if not um, confused, very bored by the message. Now, can you imagine a man standing up at those two funeral gatherings and saying to the crowd that have gathered, we have tested you all as you came in today, and you have all tested positive for COVID-19, but we have two tablets for each of you, which will remove the virus within an hour. So as you leave today, please collect your two tablets from the table. I guarantee the people in the crowd, those two crowds listening, would not fall asleep during those two pieces of information. The reality of the problem, the reality of the solution would mean a great deal to them. Now, how much more significant is the gospel where we know objectively, factually, that everybody in the world is marked by this selfish sinfulness against God. And the Lord Jesus Christ has brought in the cure, the solution. I know this is a kind of an easy, cheap illustration to use, but this is what the Apostle Paul is pressing in these chapters in Corinthians, that the problem is great, It will take us to death. It will take us to judgment. But that the Lord Jesus has stepped in to intervene and make it possible for us to go safely to be with him. There isn't really a bigger message. There isn't a greater message in the whole of the world. Uh, Mostly the world doesn't care. But occasionally the world sits up and takes notice. And I thought I would read to you a small section of the script from a television show called ER. I've never watched ER, but I read this little bit of a script in a book. Apparently this some Christian must have got into the script writing of ER. And there is a situation apparently some time ago where a policeman, an old policeman, is dying in hospital of cancer and he calls for a chaplain and says, would you please explain to me about forgiveness because I've done many things wrong in my life. And this is how the script goes. Chaplain, sometimes we feel guilty more than forgiven. Policeman, which means what? By the way, this chaplain is not at all helpful. (laughs) Chaplain, maybe your guilt gives you a reason to live. Policeman, listen, I'm dying and I'm afraid of what comes next. Chaplain, what do you think that is? Policeman, you tell me, is atonement possible? Chaplain, We must interpret for ourselves what God wants. Policeman, you mean do anything? Rape, murder, everything's okay? Chaplain, no, that's not what I'm saying. Policeman, I don't have time for this. I want a real chaplain who believes in God and hell. Chaplain, I get that you're frustrated. Policeman, no, I need answers and you're making things worse. Chaplain, I know you're upset. Policeman, look, I want someone who will look me in the eye Tell me how to find forgiveness because I am running out of time. There's reality, isn't it? There is a man of the world suddenly saying this is important. And this is the key information the Apostle Paul has been preaching in these chapters in 2 Corinthians 2 to 6. And the Corinthians have been drifting away from it. Now, if you were here last week, I mentioned from chapter 4 that Paul says, not only are we people who have a resurrection hope up ahead, which is very factual, 
objective and real. But every day, God is renewing us very wonderfully. Every day, God is renewing his people, new faith, new joy, new hope, new resources, and a a great resurrection up ahead. What he does in chapter 5, the passage which Matt has just read for us, is he unpacks a little bit of what this resurrection looks like. And I think he does this because the false teachers probably don't have much interest in a resurrection and they certainly don't have any clues about the resurrection. And so he says in these verses, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, four quick things. He says, we know something, we groan, we're confident, and we make it our aim. We know, we groan, we're confident, we make it our aim. First of all, we know, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, we know that if this tent body is destroyed, literally if it is loosed, you can imagine the ropes are taken down, and therefore the tent falls, then, says Paul, we have a house body in heaven. We're going to move, he says, from a tent body to a house body. Now, this is a clever illustration because the Apostle Paul was a tent maker and he knew what he was talking about. And it's a clever illustration because if you haven't noticed, the body starts to droop after a while. Some of you may be over 21, I'm not sure. But eventually the body starts to droop. And uh, this is the same type of language the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 8, where he talks about an old body being replaced by a new body. Or we might say an earthly body being replaced by a resurrection body. So the Christian who dies doesn't just move, listen carefully to this, from physical body to some kind of ghost or vapour that will float around the ether, but we move from a physical body to a physical body. You get that? We move from a physical to a physical. In fact, the shift, according to the New Testament, is not from a strong body to a weak body, but a weak body to a strong body. So you remember the Lord Jesus in his resurrection body, there was some continuity. They recognized that it was him, but there was some discontinuity because it was a more able, powerful body. And Paul doesn't say in chapter 5, verse 1, we hope this is true. He doesn't say we wish this were true. He doesn't say we imagine this. He doesn't say we think it. He says we know. And we know, says the Apostle Paul, because he's been told by the living God. And this information Paul has been given was for him and for us who listen. Uh, He himself was completely persuaded, and we might wish that we had his conviction. We feel a little more nervous and tentative. There's a part of us that still continues to think, wouldn't this be wonderful? The Apostle Paul says it's factual. This is where we're going. Uh, Imagine a father gives to his two boys a bag of gold coins. One boy holds the bag of gold coins tightly, One boy holds the bag of gold coins tentatively. Which of the two boys is the richest? The answer is they're both rich. They've both been given a bag of gold coins. Whether you hold the gold coins tightly or tentatively, you have been enriched. And this is how it works with the gospel. And therefore, it's not arrogant for you to say we know since Jesus rose and since Jesus promises, it would be more arrogant to say we can't know. 
I know the world says that it would be arrogant for anybody to say that they know, but we know there is an expert who has gone through the grave and has returned, proven his resurrection, promised resurrection, and we take great confidence in him. John Lennon, you remember, famously said that we're to imagine that there is nothing. But the Apostle Paul has got no time for imagination. He's interested in facts. So given the evidence in the Old Testament that there would be a resurrection, given the evidence in the New Testament that there is a resurrection, given the evidence around the globe that the church has grown supernaturally, and given the evidence of fellow believers who have been made brand new people, we are able to say, we know. That's the first. Second, we groan. Chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. You see what the Apostle Paul says? Meanwhile, we groan, longing or desiring to be clothed. In other words, says Paul, we groan to arrive in a new body. This is not the groaning of a whinger. We all know whingers. This is not that kind of groaning. This is not the groaning of, just let me out of here. I want to get out of here. This is the groaning of a traveller longing to get home. Now this, friends, again, may be very foreign to you. You may say to yourself, I don't really know what you're talking about. I long to stay where I'm familiar, and I do too. But Paul says God works in the believer a new and growing longing to arrive. And since we are passing through, and we are passing through, God has wise and loving ways to increase our desire to get home. Sometimes he does that through ageing. So I was visiting a lady recently who I guess was 94, and she couldn't wait to arrive. I mean, she'd had enough. Sometimes he works on us through suffering, and we say we really look forward to the day we put all this behind us. Sometimes God works on us because of the weariness we have with sin. I remember interviewing Clifford Warren. Do you remember Clifford Warren, any of you? And uh, Clifford Warren turned 70, and I said to him, what are you looking forward to now? You're 70. And he said, I'm looking forward to not having sin, meaning I'm looking forward to the resurrection. Sometimes God works on us by giving us a great sense of the joy that is ahead of us. The Corinthians, you see, may have been saying to themselves, life is great, this is all we want, and the false teachers are coming in and saying, this is all you need. But soon the plate is going to be empty, and all the attention that is paid to the tent body, the gym classes, the sit-ups, the push-ups, the makeup, the Botox, it's not going to keep the tent up forever. I hope you're aware of this. Well, notice in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, uh, we will be clothed. We will be clothed, he says. He's probably having a go at the Greek idea that the body's a bit of a prison, and so it'll be good to escape the body and float around like a spook. No, the apostle Paul says, we're not going to be bodiless, We're going to be in a brand new body. When God has finished with us and brought us to glory, there will be a body. Just as there is a body for here, there will be a body for there. 
Now, let me say a quick word to you on the interim state, the intermediate state. And for this just next 60 seconds, you'll need to be attentive. Somebody said during the week that Christianity is the suspending of your intellectual faculties. And I want to say to you that Christianity is the engaging of your intellectual faculties. You're going to need all your brains to think these things through. So the question is, does a Christian go straight to be with Christ or does a Christian lie waiting for centuries or or whatever it is, minutes? It seems from the evidence in the New Testament that a Christian goes straight to be with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1, I desire to depart and be with Christ. In Romans chapter 1, he says, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There's no separation, Romans chapter 8. Maybe like Luke 23, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, that when we're away from this tent body, he says, we're home with the Lord. We're away, we're home. A person is suddenly away from the body, they're home with the Lord. So there is immediate fellowship or we might say unbroken fellowship. We can walk with the Lord Jesus through this world, get to the valley, go down the valley with the Lord Jesus, go up the valley with the Lord Jesus and be with the Lord Jesus. Unbroken fellowship, nothing will separate us. But it looks as though the final goal, of course, is to have a resurrection body. And whether there will be a time where we are without a resurrection body, it's certainly the goal, 2 Corinthians 5, that we will end up with a resurrection body. Luther says the Christian life is like a brief stay in a hotel. If we're treated well, good. If we're not treated well, we'll soon be in better conditions. So the Apostle Paul says we groan or we long for that final arrival. Third thing he says, we're confident. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, exactly the same word. He's told us that the resurrection of Jesus has, has, has happened. Chapter 4, verse 14, yes, it has. The Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 5, has made us new. Yes, he has. And therefore, says the Apostle Paul, we understand the difference between home in the tent body and away from the Lord, and one day away from the tent body and home with the Lord. So in the tent body in which we have met today, we're all in our tent bodies, we are at home in a sense in our tent body, but we're away from seeing the Lord. We don't see him face to face. One day, says the apostle, we'll be away from this tent body and we will be home with the Lord. And so chapter 5 verses 6 and 8, we're not self-confident, we're God-confident He's given us his word on this. And that's why in the middle of the two verses, verse 7, he says we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by the promises, not by our faculties, not by our senses. And I think we understand this because every time we catch an aeroplane, it is in a sense a journey by faith. We can't, it's, a, it's an everything by faith really, isn't it? <laughs> but we can't see the journey, at least unless we're looking at our little map on the screen. But we, we have absolutely no idea of how to get to Paris or wherever it is. But we have the word of the airline, we have the word of the ticket, we have the word of our boarding pass, we have the word of the stewardess, and we entrust ourselves with sense, with reasonable sense, to the aeroplane, and then finally we arrive. 
So the journey, as John Newton said, is to travel to an inheritance based on the word of a perfect guide. And even if the travel is difficult, says Newton, we go on by faith. If you wonder why heaven will be wonderful, very wonderful, it's not just the reunion. It's not just the perfect world that we'll be in a part of. It's not just the absence of tears. It's not just the absence of suffering and the absence of death. It's the presence of Christ. I assure you, the day you get to heaven, it will be the presence of Jesus which will make it heaven. If he's absent, it's hell. If, if he's present, it's heaven. And he where he is present will put everything right. Now, I imagine the false teachers in Corinth were committed much more to the present, to the looks, and to the feelings, which is a very, very rocky road to walk. But to walk by faith, to walk by the promises, means that there is enough light for the road, and it gets brighter and brighter. The wonderful privilege of the Christian is that we are in the sunrise. Things will just get brighter. The tragedy for the unbeliever is that he or she is in the sunset. This is as bright as it will get for the unbeliever. This is as dark as it will get for the believer. So we know, we groan, we're confident. And fourthly, verses 9 and 10, we make it our aim. Now, friends, I've been thinking a lot about this passage because it's so nice, isn't it, to say, look, please, Mr. Preacher, just tell me that everything is fine. That's all I want to know. I just want to know everything is fine so that I can go home and make my cup of tea and read the paper. And that's all that matters. Let me say to you that this promise about a resurrection is not really believed by you if you have no interest in the welfare of others. I don't think this really means anything to us if we're not concerned for the people who are without resurrection hope. And that's why chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, sets out the very great hope which we're talking about this morning. But then verses 11 to 21 that we'll look at next week sets out the very great mission that we're involved in. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 15, we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us. And verse 20, we are ambassadors, longing to see people reconciled. Because when the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, we have a building, who's the we? It's not just the apostles. It's not the whole world. It's the people who have been brought to Christ. And something is wrong if we don't care for those who have no resurrection. The people who have no home to look forward to, <clears throat> something is wrong if we don't care for them. So the flip side of our belief in heaven this morning is the real belief in hell. And we have not been put in this world as believers just to watch television and drink coffee and to wait until our flight is called. No, chapter 5 verses 9 and 10, we'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ this uh, judgment seat language would have been very meaningful to the Corinthians because they had a very famous judgment seat in their city. The Apostle Paul was brought in front of the judgment seat when he was in the city. And they have discovered the judgment seat of Corinth in the ruins of Corinth. 
But that judgment seat in Corinth is tiny compared to the judgment seat of Christ. And everybody is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody who's ever been conceived will stand before Christ and will hear the word either welcome or depart. And Jesus will do that perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. But friends, when you who belong to Christ hear the word welcome, because you have welcomed Christ as your Saviour and Lord, he is going to assess your service for him and my service for him. And he'll do this very fairly and very generously. And he will give some kind of reward or response to the way we have served him. This is not salvation by works. Salvation is always by grace. But the servants of Christ will be assessed. And the reason that we'll be assessed is because a new life has come to us. The invitation of Christ came into our ears and it came into us and it has worked its way through us and brought a brand new life. And that's why Paul says in chapter 5 verse 10, he'll see what's been done through us. In other words, he'll look at us like new fruit trees and assess the fruit. Now, I've sent some questions through for the small groups. And if you're in one of the small groups or if you can see the questions on the back of your sheet today, you might like to reflect on some of those questions, either alone or in your groups, because there's a lot to unpack about these verses. But what I've tried to simply say to you this morning in a very quick overview of these 10 verses is, first of all, that we are not people who just wish there will be a heaven. We have it on God's authority and we can know there is a heaven. Second, we don't long to stay forever. God puts into his people a new desire to arrive with Christ. Thirdly, we're not confident in ourselves as if we're so great. We're confident in him and the word that he's spoken to us. And finally, says Paul, we're not aiming to please ourselves as we live in this world. We're not to get up each morning and say, how can I please myself? We're to get up in the morning and say, how can I please my, my Saviour and my Lord? Well, this morning in my quiet time, I read a verse in Chronicles, which I'll finish with this morning. For those of you who are seeking to serve the Lord today in the strength that he provides, I think we could take hold of this verse, which was spoken by David to his son in, um, sorry, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And it says this, and I'm saying this to you as I finish. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service is finished. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for giving to us these very precious words. Pray that you would fill us, not only with faith and peace and joy, but also with hope. And in your goodness, a desire to know the things you've promised, to look forward to what you've planned, to be confident in yourself, and to make it our aim to please you. Please take and use us. Please take and use us in your service in some way this day that our prayers, our words, our deeds, our witness would be fruitful, effective, pleasing to you, helpful to others. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Simon. Um, well, like a good tour guide on a hike, Simon has taken us on a journey. And we're at a lookout, aren't we? I wonder what you can see. What is it that God has shown you and put on your heart this morning? Uh, in a moment, the musician's going to lead us in a song. But I, before they do, I want you to take a moment to write down something. So you need your, your, uh, your outline there. And I've got there under head, heart and hands... This whole series is about deep faith in a shallow world and we want the gospel to go in deep into our lives. What is it that God would have go deep into your life today that he's shown you, right? Something down maybe that he's changed in your life.